Welcome to Cheaper Than Therapy, a podcast that journeys into conversations with the intention of demystifying, destigmatizing, and desensitizing what really gets talked about behind the closed doors of the therapy room. I'm Vanessa Bennett. And I'm Danae Selkin. And we're seekers, soul sisters, and holders of sacred space. So join us as we dive into the ways that therapy can be connecting not only to yourself, but also to those around you. Holy shit, (laughs) y'all. It is our 50th episode. V, can you believe we've done 50 of these? I'm I'm freaking out a little bit. It's kind of insane, right? Because we really just thought that we, I mean, I don't think that we thought that this wouldn't be a long-term thing, but I think we were just kind of like, oh, let's just do it and see what happens. And, you know, we didn't really have any expectations. And here we are on the other side of 50 and it feels good and it still feels good. And there's still new ideas and we're still exploring and, you know, I'll give a little shout out to Miss Emily, our producer, who's been with us since the beginning and like busting her ass. Yeah. And Uh, just with us, right. Like brainstorming with us and, and I don't know, doing all the things. Yeah. I feel, you know, I think it's been so amazing for us throughout 2020. This podcast gave us an opportunity to be together on a pretty um, Mm -hmm. regular basis, even if it was over Zoom. And that's been amazing. But also I feel like we've gotten to speak to so many people that we both feel so deeply inspired by the work Mm -hmm. that they're doing. That's been really motivating and, um, you know, challenged me to, to step up in the way that I'm holding space for healing and holding space for my own healing, obviously. When we started this, Hmm. the pandemic hadn't happened yet. Right. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it happened pretty short order after, I mean, what, like maybe a few months or something. Oh, Um, it was like a week or two. We made the decision to do it and we were like, Mm -hmm. you know, playing with like, what would it look like in names and stuff? But then like we started recording, I think we'd recorded one and then it was like lockdown. What's interesting about that, I think almost like from an energetic perspective is when you were saying it kept you and I connected, it kept us connected to the world of healers and Mm -hmm. just the community that we are a part of and, and want to continue to be a part of. And in some way, it almost feels bigger than us. Like the time that we started it and, you know, and I obviously had a baby, right? Like I had a baby literally like a week after or a week before our first episode kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was all around the same time. And, you know, like you and I have talked about in other episodes, I didn't, I wasn't able to have community around me to support me with having this new being. Right. And neither was John. And so in a way the timing was so divine because it really Mm -hmm. did, it ensured or rather almost forced me to make sure that I was still connecting with you, connecting with other people, you know, kind of having these kind of conversations that have nothing to do with being a mom, that have everything to do with me and mm-hmm. filling me up and making sure that I'm staying grounded and making sure that I'm, I'm myself, right? Like staying connected to myself, which I think so often, especially with moms in the beginning, you lose yourself, you know, normally, I mean, that's, it's, I feel like it's a normal thing, but it can get dangerous if it gets too far along and add that on top of the pandemic. And I actually think that when I, when I look back and kind of give it that 30,000 foot perspective, I realize more now how much of a lifeline Mm. I think this podcast was for me. 
That just kind of made me emotional listening to you say that. I think because there were so many times throughout this journey that I was watching you in awe, knowing that you were like physically healing from having a baby. Sitting in my closet. Sitting in the closet. <laughs> <laughs> like, give me a minute. Hold on. I'm leaking. Uh, like all of the, yep, all of all the, the mom, mom things. things. And like me, like, look at her. And she's still like so dropping into herself, capital S, S self in a way that I know I didn't right after having a baby. Like I was like, you're amazing, B. That's uh, phenomenal to me. Yeah. It was like, you know, you realize in the beginning too, especially when you're somebody who's very body oriented and had such a strong meditation practice and a strong movement practice. And then you have a baby and that naturally goes out the window, especially in the beginning with no yeah. sleep and, you know, healing. I mean, I ended up having, you know, emergency C-section, all the things. And in a way, as much as I can beat myself up for losing touch with my sit, my seated practice, in a way, this was actually an ability too for me to drop in in, in that way. Um, and so when I look back, it was this ability to, it was meditation, right? Because if you're really dropped in and you're really focused and you're really present in a conversation in a way where you can feel it in your body, you know, we've all had those conversations that are just like exhilarating and you leave feeling like inspired. That, that to me is a form of meditation. And so I, I actually can look back. This is the first time I thought about it like that, but I can look back and maybe give myself a little grace and saying, well, you were meditating. It just didn't look like it did before you had a baby. <laughs> oh, I love that. And, you know, as you say that, I it sort of reminds me of something I've been thinking about a lot that I feel like I haven't really gotten an opportunity to just explore with you that much. But, you know, I think this podcast and doing this work really kept us close to the sacred in this last mm. year. You know, so many of the conversations we were having were in the rich realm of the depth um, that we, you know, love to dive into mm -hmm. um, in terms of depth psychology. And I feel like I've been, I don't want to say struggling with, but like sort of like almost digging my heels in a little mm. bit with this feeling that I choose to be in this world, but not of this world. And I've really, you know, um, obviously I'm in this world. I do work in this world. I'm connected to the physical realm of, you know, people in this world, but I've just been consciously allowing myself to disconnect from a lot of the, I don't want to say noise, but the like the day-to-day -day goings on, right? Like since the insurrection on the Capitol, I have not watched the news. Um, I feel like it was like really, you know, one of those points of like, ooh, I can sort of be the witness of what is happening on my nervous system mm -hmm. as I'm watching all of this and taking it in. And obviously I'm aware of like what's happening. My clients talk to me every day about what's right. happening in the world, but I've really, I don't know, I've sort of stepped back from ingesting these constant news cycles and the constant awareness of what is happening over and over and over. And I'm curious because I feel like you're always really good at bringing me back into like the the line between the spiritual bypass and the like, mm. you know, like being conscious. And I don't know, like, what are your thoughts on that as you hear me say that? Well, what's, what's first coming up for me is I think it's interesting because you are somebody who, like, every time I was in your home, you know, there was kind of MSNBC was like always out in the background, <laughs> mm. <laughs> you know, years ago, I know, always like just yeah. kind of playing in the background. And, um, so to hear you say like, whoa, whoa, I'm done. And I'm kind of tapping out is it's powerful. Cause you know, that 
it means something when somebody who, you know, is kind of somebody who stays up and kind of follows it closely has had enough. And, you know, Oprah talks about this a lot. I hear her mention this a lot, actually. It doesn't matter who she's talking to, where she has made a really hardcore commitment to not taking in too much news. And for her, it sounds like she has got the balance down pretty well between staying connected and up to speed on what's happening, but also not getting in too deep. And I don't know, maybe for, for me, if I were to say what's my line, it is in the body, right? So like you said, it's like you can start to feel it. And sometimes, by the way, I mean, social media and news cycles are designed in a way that are addictive. They are designed in a way to keep us on consuming for as long as possible, right? And so there are times where, and, and for me, like Twitter is, is kind of my news source because the thing I love about Twitter is like, I can go on, I can find out what's going on about a specific incident and then I can turn it off, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and obviously I'm not just like reading, you know, bullshit headlines. It's like, I am first and foremost, I actually look at both sides of everything, but I, I can go to, you know, a little bit more of the non-biased places like NPR um, and, and see what's, what they're saying. But, but yeah, the, the news cycles and the social media are designed really to keep you engaged, right? So they're going to keep playing the most intense, the most extreme, the most kind of um, emotionally enraging mm. clips and, and sound bites that they possibly can, right? Because that's good for them. And so I find myself even on Twitter sometimes, it's like you get sucked into the, the addictiveness of it. Like I'll be scrolling and I'll be looking and I'll be reading. And all of a sudden it's like, I blink my eyes and like 20, 30 minutes has gone by. And I, I have that holy shit moment where I have to be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, it's going off now. Because if I didn't have that moment, I would just keep going and going and going. And that's exactly what it's designed to do. So I give myself a little bit of grace just because I know that like those powers are a lot stronger than me. You know, like there's a lot of research into algorithms and the ways that our brain works that keep us engaged uh, at play there. But it's a body thing. It's like that moment of like, oh, I feel icky. It's consumed or taken over me that that's when I'm like, yeah, tapping out. (laughs) I think that's spot on. And I think that, you know, actually what it was for me that I stopped with the sort of like the background noise of the news was 2016 election. Mm -hmm. I like, after that happened, I realized like in my body, there was like a toxic, like powerless, like, ugh, I I don't even have the words to articulate, but I was like, just so like viscerally aware, this Mm. is not good for me. And this is not who I want to be in the world. Right. It's the anger. Right. Like it's like you feel, and, and again, we're not trying to spiritual bypass here. Like it's important to know what's going on and like to be hyper aware of all of the injustices happening right now. And, and because you can't keep your head in the sand and be an ally, right? Like they don't go hand in hand, but we are no good to people if we are overwhelmed by Mm. emotion or consumed by emotion or, or functioning and thinking and acting from a place of fight or flight, which is exactly what this shit does it triggers our fight or flight response. Well, see, I guess that's where I struggle a little mm-hmm. bit because the social network, right? Mm-hmm. We all saw, well, many of us saw that documentary and realized, you know, those who weren't as aware as maybe you are of like mm-hmm. how these, um, not only these news cycle, but these social networks like are basically like marketing. Yeah, I was in advertising y'all. Like I know how this shit like, works. There's a lot of psychology <laughs> behind this. Okay. Like we know what we're doing to get you to eat like butter or whatever it is that we're selling you, you know? 
Right. But like when you see it actually broken down, like this mm-hmm. is how this works with your brain. This is what's firing. And this is very deliberate. And there is a way that we are being marketed, frankly, to hate one another, right? Mm-hmm. Like people mm-hmm. on opposing sides of different issues. Um, there's an echo chamber of mm-hmm. like, this is what you're being fed and this gets you fired up. And then you want to do something, about it. you want to buy something because of it. Like it's mm-hmm. all fascinating. And I find that I'm so struck by it's creating a false narrative, right? Like, and not that there isn't, you know, injustice, not that there aren't like these real social issues that we've had a black light on this last year that like, it's finally coming to a head and need to be addressed. But also I think it's creating a narrative that we are more divided, more different from one another than is Mm -hmm. actually the truth, right? That people are so much worse than they truly are. And I don't like that. Like, I don't want to think, awful of my fellow man, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Well, there's a feeling of despair in that, yeah. right? Like what happens when we feel like our fellow man, like the other side of the aisle or whatever, are these horrible human beings. Um, and let's be clear, there are some horrible human beings, but like <laughs> when we start to believe that everybody who's different than us or everybody that believes differently than us is a horrible person, there is this almost feeling, first it's rage and anger, of course, right? And this kind of like, um, I am better than mm-hmm. that comes out of that. Um, separateness, obviously, the othering that happens, but also there's this feeling, at least for me, this like hopelessness and despair that creeps in that actually takes away my desire to do the work. It actually takes away my desire of um, being an ally, of getting out there, of being an advocate, right? Of of just I don't know, being involved in the movements that we do need to be involved in. And I wonder if people realize to a certain extent being too consumed by these, I don't know, by the media, by, you know, social, they think they're doing a good thing, but I wonder if they realize actually that in a way that kind of despair feeling, that hopelessness feeling is actually like taking some of the wind out of their sails, if Mm -hmm. that makes sense. At least it does for me. I mean, I can't speak for everybody, but of course there's that feeling of like, oh, I have to get out there and like justice and whatever. But when I get to a place where it's like all is lost, you know, like our earth is dying, everything's on fire. The other side of the aisle is horrible. You know, they want to send us back to like, you know, archaic times with like, you know, women wearing bonnets and all this shit. Like when I get into that kind of headspace, you know, like here come the red hooded cloaks kind of thing. It's like, well, fuck this. Like, I don't even want to get out there and make it better for anybody, let alone for them, you know? Yeah. I don't know. It feels comforting to me to talk to you about this because I genuinely, it's a struggle for me, but hearing Mm -hmm. you say that just feels really validating. And I, you know, I understand like we have to have a balance between healthy rage and, you Mm -hmm. know, action and like, you know, activism and also self-care. <laughs> and there has to be a point where we sit down and say, um, we are not as different as we appear to be. We've got to find some common ground. Right. And I, I guess sometimes what I feel overwhelmed by is the othering, the, uh, mm. you know, the different sides of this, the, the staying in the rage. Like I, staying in the rage for too long does bring me into that space of just like hopelessness and I can't survive there. Like Mm -hmm. that is not a sustainable place for me to be. Well, and I've witnessed, I know you have too, 
you know, very close family members of mine who have lived in or existed, I won't even say lived, existed in a subtle state of rage pretty much their entire lives, Mm. you know, and it's trauma-based. I get it. I'm not blaming. Mm -hmm. Um, And it comes from a, a place of needing to survive and, you know, feeling like it's not safe enough to be in a space of love and groundedness and, you know, open heartedness and all of these things that we practice. Um, but for me, that's been a really great mirror Mm. to see that I don't want to live there. And I did live there, you know, I was there until I was probably about 25 and I started doing my own therapy and my own work. Um, and I had it reflected back to me by somebody who was a best friend of mine for many, many years. And she said to me, you know, you're really angry. I remember this conversation. So I was probably 24 and she's just like, why are you so mad? Why are you so angry all the time? Mm. And I just realized it was what I had learned and it was survival and I needed to do the work and that was it. You know, I started going there, but I, I made a commitment to myself a long time ago that I wouldn't live in that space anymore. And I think I realized a very clear connection like a sensation, a sensate connection between getting sucked into that and feeling like I'm back in that place. I don't ever want to go there again. Yeah. I feel that so deeply. Um, it's just the love feels so much better if we bring it back to a somatic level, you know, and again, that is why, um, I I am quite often, especially in in my family, um, sort of, you know, accused of being naive and, you know, like rose colored glasses and just, and I'm like, well, then I guess that's what I'm going to choose to be is Mm -hmm. the, the naive little whatever that, that believes in love, that believes that that is the option. Right. I hate that because, and obviously I'm, I'm the same, right. I'm the, the, um, you know, what was that quote that I've said a million times? Like ever since, she, oh yeah, ever since she get all fucking zened out, right? <laughs> said about me, um, which I just kind of had to laugh about. Like, I guess that's a, supposed to be a dig, but I won't take it as a dig because like, to me, it's a compliment. Um, but it, I hate that because it, it, it's almost meant to shame us back into this space of anger. It's meant to mm. shame us back into this, like you're not allowed to be in that space of love. Like you have to be in this space of anger and, um, you know, bitterness and, like pointing the finger and and feeling slighted because that's where we live. And by you breaking out of that, first and foremost, you're showing us that you can break mm. out of it. And it's turning a mirror on us and we don't like that, right? But it's like that like that makes me so mad even thinking about it because I've been in that space too, obviously. And it's just like, no, you keep your shame to yourself. You know what? Like you don't have to live here with me. You do not have to do the work and be in a place of love and try really hard to look at humanity as good more often than not. That's fine, but don't get mad at me or try to keep me in the space with you. Like I, it's my own life and that's just not what I choose. I don't know. That's like maybe so like even thinking about that got me all fired up because obviously I've been there. <laughs> yeah. No. And you know, like I get to the point where I think it's funny. My ex is calling me and you'll enjoy this. I don't understand it at all. He's been calling me Soleil Moon Fry and he's like, oh, Soleil Moon Fry, everything is all Zen. And I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Soleil Moon Fry is like punky Brewster. Like you're, you're, your illustration is it because her name sounds hippie I guess. I'm like, you're not even making sense. What does that mean? But, you know, I think that there is a lot of 
compassion to be held for what exactly what you said, right? Like it's a projection of where I'm feeling judged by you because mm-hmm. I'm in this space that doesn't feel good to be in. Like we all know when we're in the space of rage, it doesn't feel And judgment good. and like just, you know, feeling indignant and righteous and all those things. Like, yeah, we yeah. know what that feels like. We know we're time. not being our highest self in those moments. And it's such a practice, right? To like bring ourselves back, to take a deep breath and say, but what would love say about this, right? Like mm-hmm. what would the option that is in alignment with love say I should do next, right? right? And I am constantly amazed how much better it feels, how much I'm like, oh, this is so much easier. <laughs> Why don't we just choose love? Like, I feel like the anger is so much harder. I agree. But yeah. again, you're on the other side of practice, yeah. right? Because yeah. I think that actually, if I were to think back, I mean, anger, if that's what you know, and that's your default, then that is going to feel easier. And love is going to be hard because that actually does take practice, right? And it's a muscle that has to be strengthened. This ability, I mean, yes and no. I guess if I really look back at myself, like I've always kind of been this little hippie, like my whole life, you know, and it was always like the joke in my family. Mm-hmm. Um, and so maybe there is a part of me that's just always had that through line, but it does take practice. It is a muscle. And I don't know. I don't, I don't really believe that our, our normal state, like as humans is to be in the negative and that it's a practice to be in the positive. Well, I don't even want to say negative or positive, I guess like love versus hate, but life happens and trauma happens and struggle happens and, you know, um, conditioning happens. And so I think it is learned. I, I don't, we don't come out as babies living in the space of hate. Right. I mean, we're naturally loving beings. Yeah. And I think that, and this is a little bit like us in the spiritual psychology realm, but I think we are sort of not the common opinion in saying that. I hear a lot of therapists, um, you know, online sort of pushing back on this idea that like love is our natural state and that's bullshit and stop like spouting that. Like, you know, I, and, and listen, I do think that like the full range of emotions are what we are supposed to feel. And also I think that love is our, our natural way of being. Like, I think that is our baseline that we- Well, and also can't we evolve? I mean, okay, let's just say for, let's play devil's advocate for a second and say Mm -hmm. that that's not our natural way of being, right? Let's say that those therapists or whatever out there are, are right in their like biological kind of, um, you know, overview of it. Clinical. Yes. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't even call it clinical, but okay. So (laughs) biological, we'll look at it that way. Right. Like, okay. As humans, you know, we are tribal creatures and like, as we've evolved, right. Like it was all about, I mean, tribalism is a thing. Like there is a reason why in an innate level, there is a reason why I look at somebody who looks different than me and take notice that they look different than me, right? Like there is an actual, in our species, there's a survival mechanism that kicks in, right? Like we are tribal creatures. We at one point were together with the people who looked like us and only looked like us, right? So I get that. And haven't we evolved? Aren't we allowed to evolve? Don't we want to evolve? Like we are not living like that anymore, right? Like we're not living in these small tribes warring against each other and, and stealing each other's women and children, you know, to do our work. Like we don't live like that anymore. So why do we have to say, well, that's just how we are. Mm. Why can't we say, okay, yes, maybe. And we've also shown and proven through 
many, many years. And at this point, actually a lot of research around like, let's say Buddhist psychology, let's say mindfulness work. We've shown how it changes you at a cellular level. Yes. It's been proven. We have that knowledge now. Okay. So maybe that is how, like what our DNA is structured like, and we know it can change. Absolutely. You know what? I'm going to be on the other side. I want to hang out on the side of change because I know it works. Mm, that makes my heart so happy. And it's so true. You know, I think it is just, it is impossible to hate up close. I just mm, will go okay. down um, to my last breath believing that. I think that, you know, when we are up close and personal and in the space of getting to know any of these people that we have othered, the love becomes inevitable, I find, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's impossible. And I think that that is consciousness, that is presence, that is all of the work that we continuously are, you know, shouting from the rooftops about. But I love what you just said. I think that's absolutely like, yeah, we came here to evolve and I choose mm -hmm. to believe in our ability to evolve. to evolve. Yeah. You can do what you want, right? You can yeah. stay in a place of like, this is how we are as creatures. Yeah. Okay. But I choose to evolve. And so don't rain on my parade because I'm over here choosing <laughs> to evolve, you know, and also like to go back to this idea of bypassing. I mean, it is important that we feel negative. I mean, shit, this is what you and I say all the time, right? Like our background is in depth psychology and let's just put it this way. Depth psychology is about going into the depths. Yes. right? It is not about hovering above it all. It is the opposite of that. Mm. You and I speak all the time about the importance of witnessing and being in the darkness, right? Absolutely. But here's the thing. We don't talk about seeing, feeling, being with it, sitting in the darkness just for the sake of sitting in the darkness. We talk about it because without that darkness, there can't be light. Mm. That's the connection right? It's not about living there. It's not about living in the darkness because it's important that we do that. Yes, it's important we feel it so that we can also find the light. There's the, there's the second part of that sentence. There's a second part of that statement that I think is really important for people to understand. And I think this is where the bypassing conversation comes into play. You have to be able to witness your darkness, feel your rage, notice your judgments, sit with yourself as a human being that is very normal and natural to, to judge and, and have these hateful thoughts and this, right. It's normal, mm. but yeah. what's not normal. We don't want to live there forever. That's not what we want. Absolutely. You know, the goal is integration. The goal right. is to bring right. ourselves into a state where we are in relationship to all aspects of self and that there's no part of ourselves that we, you know, don't allow to right. be present. Brush right. And, mm -hmm. and yes, you're right. The bypassing is when I don't have a shadow, there's nothing mm -hmm. negative. I don't have negative. I thoughts. only live in the light, peace, love. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. But if I can be aware that those things are there, but I'm not going to stay there. And I guess right. like hearing you say that really sort of brought home this, you know, thing that I'm just sort of grappling with, which is like, it's not about like sailing above these things that are happening in our world. It's, you know, being aware that they're there, being present to them, but I'm not going to live there. I'm not going to stay there. Right. Cause that isn't healthy integration either. Well, and again, what good are you right. to anybody if you're staying in that place? Right. Yeah. And now look, when I think of like, let's think of like depression, 
right? Mm -hmm. So from like a depth psychology perspective, depression, anxiety, a lot of these things that we work with as therapists, they are all there to tell us something, Mm -hmm. right? And that is how we look at things like depression. What is this here to tell me? What is this here to teach me, right? It is important to be in it because otherwise you can't get the lesson, Mm -hmm. right? But sometimes what we see is people who want to live there. Yeah. They almost get too comfortable in that space and then they get lost Mm -hmm. and they can't find their way back to the light because they're so lost in the darkness. And maybe it feels like a warm blanket, right? Like sometimes our sorrow and our rage and our judgment and our indignation, like it feels comfortable for us. There's an, like, there's an addictive quality to it. The darkness Um, I know, right? Yeah. And right. Exactly. The devil I know versus the devil I don't, the darkness I know. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And also it's really, really scary to choose love because there's more vulnerability in love. There's more risk in choosing love. Guess what guys, human beings are risk averse, right? That's another like just biological fact. Right. So again, choosing, right. Building a muscle. It is actually harder. Like you're not doing the hard work. If you're like, I'm going to live in a space of hate all the time. Like that's actually sometimes the easy way, Mm. you know? Yeah, that's such a good point. I think it's really important that you said that about the vulnerability required to step into a space of love, right? To allow myself to be witnessed, to allow myself to say the thing that is, you know, the loving thing that, um, you know, brings someone closer versus pushing them away and othering them. That is not easy work, but it is so, to me, worth the you know, stepping into the fear, um, because there's just so much richness and life and joy, um, on the other side of vulnerability. Yeah. And, you know, all this to say, like, I am not somebody who lives in that space all the time, you know, Mm. I mean, I can very honestly say there are a lot of people out there that I would really like to throat punch. (laughs) You know, like people like Ted Cruz, people like, you know, Lindsey Graham, like there are people out there that I'm like, you deserve a real hard throat punch. Why was I not expecting you to say throat punch and it really just like caught me off guard? Like, I'm sure all of us could list a handful of people that we truly genuinely think deserve that, you know? And throat punch? Yes. Hell yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, some people deserve it, but in saying that... Would somebody like a, let's say Ted Cruz, for example, mm. I would give him a nice hard throat punch. And then maybe I would want to sit with him and say like, where is this coming from? Ted, if you're listening, she doesn't really <laughs> want to punch you no, in I the do. throat. I do. <laughs> she might. I don't know. I do. She wants but, to be curious about why with you. Right. And like you say, you know, and look, this isn't like to get super political, but there are people out there who... Look, whether you agree with even like what they agree with politically or not, just as a person, right? Like we can look at our former president, for example, like a nasty person, bottom line, nasty person. Hmm. You have been really good for me. You know, I, I said this before in a different episode too, like the police officer that murdered George Floyd. You have been really good for me to be able to say, I see so much pain in this person, like hurt people, hurt people. What happened to you? And when I think like that, 
it's not that I immediately go into this place of love that we're talking about, but boy, do I leave that place of like, hate and I mean, maybe throat punching <laughs> and go into a space of like, I don't know. I don't know if it's sympathy. I don't know if it's like, I almost look at them as like a child. Like I see them as children. Like what happened to you when you were a child? Maybe it's having my own child now where I think like, I can't even fathom the shit that must've happened to you when you were growing up for you to be who you are now. And that breaks my heart, right? Like I don't look at you now as an adult. It doesn't break my heart. But when I look at you as a child and I think about that, that breaks my fucking heart. And so it's important for me when I get into that space of wanting to throw a punch that I also think about hurt people, hurt people, you know? Yeah. Well, I think so much of our work is always to bring things back to curiosity. And I mm -hmm. think that's what you're speaking to. Like when we are curious about what happened to you, we're mm -hmm. able to see someone in their fear, right? Because it's always humanist, yeah. the option of fear or love. And if I'm choosing, you know, to other, to cause harm, to um, just operate consistency in that lower self frequency, it's always about what I'm afraid of. It's always mm -hmm. defending against what I don't want to happen to me or my kind or, you know, whatever the narrative is. But um, love says, um, you know, tell me what your, what your journey has been like. Tell me, tell me how you got here. Um, as much as he might have a good solid throat punch coming, he um, he was a little boy at one point mm -hmm. in his life, mm -hmm. right? Ted Cruz was not always um, the person that he is today. And I think there's something about this work for me has been so helpful. I see my clients as children. Like I can mm. see the children in their yeah, faces, right? And it really has shifted the way I experience people in the world. You know, like I look for their inner child. Mm. I look for um, the child within them sometimes when they're acting out mm. in a way that feels like a wounded child. And it just, you know, to your point about being a parent, it's like, how do we hold our children when they're, you know, sort of lashing out in ways that are not their highest selves? Mm. We hold yeah. them, you know, we hold them and we witness them and we let them move through it. We let them feel it. We let them experience it. And then we let them find the other side. Yeah. I feel like we've got to be more willing as a society to witness each other um, in that space, you know, and let one another be imperfect, move through things like some forgiveness. Jesus. Right. Can we bring some like, forgiveness in, um, because none of us are perfect. We're all just doing the best we can with the tools right. that we have. And we're just, I really think like in a space where we need to move back towards like, you know what, we're all learning, we're all growing and I forgive you. Yeah. Oh, and get off social media. I mean, please like yeah. enough, enough would how about this? Get off Facebook. Get off <laughs> I just all say it? of it. Get into nature and like <laughs> go go be connect with, with humans other. like eye to eye instead of reading these stupid fucking stories about kids getting shipped what? in cabinets from Wayfair and like believing that it's true. What? Okay? Oh Dude, don't even get me started. Oh, but like get off the internet. <laughs> Yeah. It's not the source of truth, you guys. Like human connection, eye to eye, heart to heart, like that is a source of truth. Yeah. You know, these stories that we're reading and swirling ourselves up in and getting ourselves all caught up in these, again, fight or flight emotions, 
there is an addiction to that. Like we have to be able to break this addiction, just like we would break any addiction, right? I mean, if you're trying to sustain from something that you know is unhealthy for you, we have to look at this cycle as the same way as we would look at like alcoholism or the same way we would look at like, you know, being addicted to like meth. I mean, it's, it can be that strong, this social media, this negative news, this cycle, you know, it's, it's strong. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, you know, like I said earlier about myself, like I give myself compassion when I realize, holy shit, I've been sucked in because I do know it's that strong and I only have so much resilience, you know, but when I notice I shut that shit off. Well, You've definitely made me feel better about being abstinent from the news and that, you know, that sometimes that's what we have to do when we're breaking any cycle of addiction is just like, cut it off. I'm not, you know, I'm not involved in this for a while. Um, And I really appreciate just so much of what you were saying about like this, this is our time of believing in our ability to expand, to evolve. And I Mm -hmm. think um, yeah, we have to believe in that possibility, right? I think that right. otherwise, what has all this been about? Right, right. Open to, hopelessness and despair again. And then I'm yeah. not of use to anybody when I'm in that place either. So I have to keep coming back to that. I have mm. to, that. my own sanity. <laughs> Thanks for letting me hash it out with you, V. Of course. And I don't know why, by the way, Ted Cruz is on my hated list today. <laughs> He's generally up there, but like today, for some reason, he's up there. And I don't know why. So I apologize. I need people up there who love him, but I'm just going to need you to visualize him as a child. Think of what he looks like, little cowlick in his hair. Why he came up for me, but you know. Oh boy. All right. Be well. All right, y'all. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to connect with us, you can find us on Instagram at Vanessa S. Bennett and at Danae Logan Selkin.